Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. You're back in the doghouse, and we're back in business at the doghouse, here on the Believe Podcast Network. Thank you for rejoining this belated edition of the doghouse. Yes, we've been very erratic in our provision of podcasts lately, and I'm pretty sure you can guess why. Not for lack of news, uh, just the opposite. So much has been going on, you just can't get to everything at this point. But we've finally been able to squeeze out a little time, and let's talk about what's going on with Mississippi State Athletics. Oh yeah, I'm your host, David Murray, and as you can tell by my throat and voice, I'm back in a little bit better condition as well. It has been a run, goodness knows. Let's just go back to Monday morning, November 13th, when Zach Arnett was relieved of his duties as head football coach, and all that has happened in, what, now, almost exactly a month. And, of course, uh, we'll be talking about another anniversary that this date reminds of towards the end. But for now, let's stick to the present. In the month since Mississippi State made the decision to change coaches, they have added Jeff Levy as head coach. Jeff Levy, in turn, has been able to put a staff together. Final addition was Corey Bells as cornerback's coach, joining Matt Barnes, safeties and co-defensive coordinator. David Turner, of course, was retained on defensive line, and Coleman Hutzler, Coming over from Alabama as defensive coordinator inside linebackers. Not sure who's going to be special teams in that bunch. I think they all can, but Hutzler has a heck of a record working with special teams. So I imagine it'd be a situation where if they don't create a position just for that, they can certainly share it on the coaches they have. Offensively, well, that was taken care of first. Not a huge surprise with offensive-minded head coach Jeff Levy. He'll be the offensive coordinator calling the plays, although the coordinator's title is also going to Matt Holosek, who will coach quarterbacks, as will Levy, of course. So uh, we'll use the titles as they're listed. You just know both of them be working with the game planning and the quarterbacks. Running backs, Anthony Tucker. Offensive line, John Cooper. Also offensive line, Cody Kennedy, who will be picking up tight ends as well. That will be a shared situation. It's not going to be the same as Mississippi State this past year, a sore point among quite a few Bulldog fans and even some of us media as well, seeing what happened with the offensive line and tight ends trying to operate in two different coaching styles. But for one thing, I think you've upgraded the quality, if not the age and experience of the coaches there. But secondly, I think they'll have a much more cohesive game plan splitting those duties on the front blocking. And, of course, keeping Chad Bumpus as wide receivers coach. Now, that's already paying off in the subject you want to get to right now. Uh, I want to wait a little bit because there's just – it seems like every hour something else is breaking on the recruiting front. Most of it good, not entirely. There have been some setbacks for Levy and staff as far as some of the guys they wanted to get either committed or transferring. Uh, right now, State has only one transfer officially announced, and that would be Blake Shapin, uh, quarterback, of course, coming from Baylor University. Quite a turnaround there. Uh, Sawyer Robertson leaves Mississippi State, goes to Baylor. Blake Shapin, who played as much of the year as he could when not injured, and at times played fairly well. His stats are not going to blow you away, but I think you have to look at the totality of the situation he was in. Regardless, he's one of the quarterbacks Mississippi State will be bringing in from what we understand, they're still courting another one, maybe even a first quarterback. Uh, but Shapin doesn't look like a bad fallback position if you have to add him as your number one. Well, we'll see how that one goes as well. There's going to be a lot more announcements of incoming transfers for State. At the moment, they're really focusing, of course, on nailing down commitments from the junior college and high school ranks. 
because state's losing a bunch. Transfer portal, 12 announced already. I say a bunch. Uh, you look at some of them. Uh, Jacoby Belazar, Nakai Poole. Yeah, you like the wide receiver depth. and Maybe they would have developed. Uh, safety Will James, you'll never know. Uh, tight end Ryland Godet, not a loss. Xavier Thomas, a loss. But the most unsurprising, or such a least surprising transfer of the bunch because it was just known that somebody was going to step in and make a huge offer to him. Mississippi State did everything it could, i.e. the Bulldog Initiative with Charlie Winfield, everything they could legally, and it just wasn't going to happen. He may end up taking less money to go somewhere else where he feels like there'll be a better situation for him to develop as a wide receiver. Uh, we're not going to say we wish him well. We don't wish him ill in that regard. But if he goes to an SEC rival where you certainly don't want to see him thrive there, it's just where he ends up at this point. But the most talented receiver on the underclassman roster at Mississippi State, you hate to lose those guys. But, again, that's just the nature of the portal. Defensively, you're losing Corey Ellington to Carlos Nicholson the secondary. Yes, I know the cynics out there say, well, you're not losing much because of how bad the secondary was. And it was bad. Under no conceivable circumstances can you say that was a competitive SEC secondary put together. Still, you want to bring back some experienced guys who have a chance to fit in with this new system and see what they can do. Now you're almost starting over from scratch in those situations. Of course, the three biggest losses, the one that surprised me a little bit is Stephen Lasoya. Not because he took the offer from Vanderbilt. I know on the surface that sounds like, at the very least, a lateral move and certainly competitively less than that. But the blunt fact is, being from the Nashville area, this is going home for him. He'll certainly be better off with a Vanderbilt degree should he be able to achieve that as well. The fact that he, as a second-time transfer, can do this is because he'll be a graduate student. But also... Don't underrate what Vanderbilt can throw into the transfer portal and image likeness mix as well. If they wanted to get serious about it, they got the money to do it. It's just they've never been serious about it in football. And that's an example of how programs which historically have struggled to attract for all sorts of reasons, whether it be academics, locations, competitions, such as that, NIL can make a huge difference in those things, and don't be surprised if you see Vanderbilt making some competitive strides if they can start spending that money correctly in the football transfer portal. Just a warning for you out there. Of course, the other two losses, obviously, you're losing your starting running back in Chavius Marks. Bless him. We wish him well. Again, uh, assuming he doesn't end up an SEC rival. But here's a guy who just was a warrior for two seasons. Never could get entirely healthy after that August 20 of 22 injury. Um, was just not 100% speed all through the season, though he certainly struggled through it. And then this past season, ankle injuries, hamstring injuries, just all sorts of setbacks. The fact that he made it to the end of the season is a credit to Woody Marks. Bless you where you go, my man. And we wish you that we would certainly love to have you back, but we certainly understand where you're going to go pursue one more shot somewhere a fifth season because you have that extra COVID season and boy, won't it be convenient when finally, finally you can start calculating rosters without fitting in everybody who would have been on college roster in 2020. And that brings us to Will Rogers. Again, no surprise he's leaving and he was the first to declare the Monday morning at the portal. Uh, well, actually a week even before the portal opened, he was declaring, but 
where he ends up. It seems like Washington is now going to receive his services out there. Interesting move because he follows the example of Dylan Johnson running back, i.e. a different different offensive style, obviously. But the fact that Washington, a team that's going to be in the college football playoff quartet this year, is picking up Will Rogers, maybe that makes some Mississippi State fans start rethinking the criticisms they had of Will and his game here. Again, a quarterback in most cases can only be as good as the personnel and the scheme around him. This was not a good scheme this past season for him. He certainly lost four games to the injury. Never really specified the injury. We assumed all along it was the left shoulder because of how he landed, but apparently there was much more to it than that. And the fact that he came back and battled through the final two regular season games is a credit to Will. And that's another guy that say, go on. We want to see you set NCAA records. You won't set any more SEC records just because you probably won't be playing in this conference. But at Washington, with the personnel they should have back, should he win the starting job, here's a guy who can make a serious run at several NCAA career records because everything he did at State will count with everything he does in another dog uniform. And at a safe distance, we'll be cheering him on out there because Will gave all that he had. And I want to remind this too, for everyone who bashed Will, for lack of arm strength or not being able to force the ball down the field in certain situations to open receivers. Again, don't criticize a player for not being what he's not physically. I know that's tough to handle sometimes, but he did what he could. He's an air raid quarterback. This was not a good offense for him this past year. Hopefully he finds success in the system that Washington puts in place. That doesn't mean he's walking straight into the job because you know they're going to have competition out there as well. But seeing what our Washington did with Michael Penix, an injured guy from Indiana, turned him into a healthy quarterback and a Heisman finalist, well, it's a good move for Will. And, again, go with God, have good success, and come back to Mississippi when your playing career is through and be a high school coach and work your way up in the college ranks because you've got the tools to make it there. So that's what's happening in the transfer portal so far, but that action is going to pick up on the incoming side much more. Jeff Levy and staff have just been crushing it as far as getting out and visiting. It's not showing the results yet, but you know the momentum is building. You see the people that are making their visits this past weekend, some this coming weekend, even though school is now shut down because the December 20th signing date, we're eight days away. And it's getting down to crunch time for this staff, which is having to learn on the fly. You know, we will do a full wrap-up on that once we see the evidence. I honestly can't say right now, does the portal and NIL make it easier for a new staff to recruit at a new school, especially when, with two exceptions, this is an entirely new staff that, if they have any familiarity at all with Mississippi State, is because they played the Bulldogs, like, say, um, Hutzler at Alabama on the special teams and other guys are, you know, Kobe, Cody Kennedy at Arkansas, people like that. If they played state, that's all they know about state. They don't know how to recruit for state. That's where Chad Bumpus and, and David Turner come in priceless, as well as keeping guys like Rod Gibson in the fold, uh, Greg Knox and Gary Green, uh, Jason Washington, who will be running the dog program, something we'll explore further once it really takes shape what that's meant to do besides be in the generic words Mississippi State's provided about uh, keeping relationships with current players, former players, and advancing them as people as well as athletes. 
that's something to investigate. But having those guys on hand is certainly helping with the recruiting transition as well because Jeff Levy has walked cold into a recruiting situation. So, again, that's something to think about. Is it going to help him? Is it going to hamper him? Is it going to have any effect at all in how they recruit with this new reality? I tend to think it will help certainly for the offensive side, given his reputation, given the guys he's quickly put together, that with the transfer portal and making some waves now with high school prospects as well. Yeah, there's been some drops. There'll be some guys that pick up because people committed to previous system state was thinking about running in 2024. Let's out the window of several of them. So it's best for both parties that they just move along in separate directions. By contrast, you expect some guys who were not looking seriously at Mississippi State, but at least aware of what's going on here. Now they see the new staff. They can look at what Lebby was able to do on offensive, not just at Oklahoma, but Ole Miss. Remember, he was at Oxford two years, so he got a taste of recruiting in this state and knows what's there and what's not there to be recruited in this state as far as the high school and junior college ranks. So he's not entirely cold to that. His name, of course, Central Florida. He brought in several guys who worked with him down in Orlando as well as Oxford. It's kind of getting the band back together in so many senses, at least on the offensive side of the football there, and that's got to be more cohesive when they have their staff meetings, their updates, or group calls whenever they're scattered hither and yon talking to people. They can at least speak the same language and what they're trying to get for the offense that Levy's going to run. And by the way, speaking of the offense, I'll remind something that he told me the night that he was presented as formal head coach, and I asked him to describe his offense with a title and said, well, I really didn't have much a title, never given one, but if I have... If he was really pushed to it, he called it a veer spread. I'm, I'm sorry, a veer and – okay, let me get <laughs> – all right, sorry about that. I'm in a mental slip myself. But more like, basically a combination of the old veer offense from the 1970s that Mississippi State was familiar with and, by the way, had strong elements of the spread in it and um, the passing – plans get pioneered by Mouse Davis and Steve Spurrier and others in the 1980s, which uh, you mix that in, a veer and, and a vertical passing offense, that's got to open a lot more eyes to Bulldog prospects who may have liked the idea of the air raid but wanted to make bigger plays than two-second drops and passes really allowed. The vertical element that it adds, the fact that running backs will be used both runners and receivers, but as fully runners and fully receivers, not some kind of hybrid mix of that, has got to be able to attract more skilled personnel if you can catch their eyes. Because again, at this stage, everybody is up for grabs. All your commitments, all those things mean nothing. I'm not saying that to be cynical, and that's just the way it works. And what Mississippi State has done so far was the commitments. Let's see what the latest running count, according to our scout, I'm sorry, 24-7 was slipping into the Wayback Machine there. You've got 16 hard commits at this point, and it's a nice mix on the offensive side, including tight ends, by the way, um, and young offensive tackles who are sticking with it. And that's to me, that's the priority. You've got to get offensive linemen, the defensive linemen second. You're going to be able to find some guys to plug and play the skill spots, but State has such a rebuild job ahead in the muscle positions. For all the things that Mike Leach and staff did well, they just did not recruit to the degree of depth and 
Well, we won't know about quality until the guys actually get out there. I think there's some guys who certainly can play offensive line, develop into fine SEC blockers, but you won't know that until they actually get their chances because State had an all-senior, including graduate seniors, line this past season. And so now you're plugging people in entirely new and an entirely new offense, which may not be a bad thing at all because these guys did not – they may have practiced these years in an air raid or whatever you want to call Kevin Barbe's system this past year. But now they can start as reasonable expectations in the levy type offense and more easily erase what is not needed to be carried over, build on what can be carried over. You think that transition should work out better on the offensive side of the ball, which we'll start finding out in spring. No, they've not announced a spring practice schedule, something that we're going to be pushing once we get into January and things settle down. Because right now, I imagine the last thing on Levy's mind is figuring out what day do I want to start my first spring practice in March. Now, there's way too much to get done before December 20th. And after December 20th, because the portal doesn't close until January 2nd. And even then, guys who are in the portal still have plenty of time to sign on right up to the start of the spring semester at the various schools. Remember, if you're in the portal when it closes, you can still sign after that. I believe that's what happened with Mike Wright this past season for Mississippi State. As of now, State's ranked 36 in the 24-7 composite rankings, 36-37 in that range. Hmm. No, that wouldn't be great, at least not by SEC standards, but it is a heck of a lot better where they were two weeks, even just one week ago, mired down in the 40s. Picking up a few players like that is already pushing it. And also keep in mind, too, that we still haven't come up with a really solid system yet of mixing in transfer portal additions as how that affects your, quote, recruiting class. That's something for the brainiacs involved with recruiting. Of course, that's our Steve Robertson and Rion Young, who are on the phone constantly. I think Steve has used up a decade's worth of minutes just the past couple of weeks, first with the coaching search as well as assistant coaches. And then on top of that, now he's back full blast into the recruiting angle along with Rion, and now Neil Stepinski helping out with evaluations. So those guys are carrying the weight on our website for sure. And check out their work because there's a lot to follow there. Overall impressions of the staff that Levy has put together? Well, like I said, the offense, I think, certainly should be cohesive enough from day one. Defensively, much more interesting. Uh, I know State pursued several name, and I use that in parentheses, name defensive coordinators for various reasons. Some were not interested and some just didn't work out. That's the way it goes this time of year. So... State is able to go get Goldman Hutzler and then divide things up. So I, I really, it would be foolish of me to sit here on this December 12th and start trying to analyze, is it a good staff? Is it a weak staff? Is it a strong staff? We won't know that probably for a couple of years at this point, especially because, let's face it, Mississippi State is in a serious rebuild mode on both sides of the ball and particularly both sides of the line of scrimmage. So I don't want to get too carried away. Would it be nice to have some bigger names? Probably. Uh, it would certainly make it easier to write about and talk about. But the fact is, these are the coaches that are signing on here. And that's why I ran that series this week of looking at the assistant staffs of four of the previous hires, going back to Sylvester Croom, then Dan Mullen, Joe Moorhead, and Mike Leach himself, looking at their first-year staffs, not their complete staffs, just who they had on their staff the first year, meaning who were they able to hire, what were they able to do. And by the way, keep in mind, all those four coaches were also 
offensive head coaches. Sly Croom, West Coast offense, which isn't quite as dead as I thought it was because there I am watching the Dallas Cowboys win the other night against Philadelphia. Way to go, Dak. Uh, sorry, Fletcher and Darius. And seeing that's, yeah, that's West Coast stuff that Dak is operating this year. Interesting there. Also makes me wonder what would Omar Connor have done in the West Coast. Never mind. We're not going to go down that probably until January. I'm looking at a piece sometime after the new year when things really slow down. Uh, let's take a quarterback from a particular era and plug him into a team from another era and see what it happens. I.e., my example I want to use, uh, what would Rocky Felker have done for Dan Mullen's spread the first couple of years? Or what, say, could Don Smith have done in the later years of it? Now that's something to really consider. Uh, just, again, that'll be January content. But for now, let's, stick, let's try to stay on target, David. So we've talked about the coaching staff that Levy is bringing in. Uh, salary figures will slowly leak out as time goes on. Freedom of information, all that kind of stuff. Not a big deal. Although, not so much what the individual are getting paid. I'll be interested to see who's on one-year contracts, who's on two-year contracts as assistants. But more the total. What was the pool that he had to draw from, and did he use all of it? Something in. We won't know until we get some solid figures coming out. And it's just not something that we really want to look into right now because there's so much else going on. But that's another thing once the recruiting things settle down, get past Christmas into New Year's, which will be much slower for us this year without a bowl game. Yep, no bowl game. It still hurts to think that I won't be watching any practices out there in freezing weather and getting ready to go to a hopefully better weather site for a bowl like a year ago. Uh, makes me think. January 2nd, 2023, the world seems so right at that time. And now here we are, almost a full year later, and look what all has happened. Maybe that'll be something to do for a uh, New Year's week show, kind of a retrospective of 2023, which admittedly won't be much fun on any sporting front, but there you are. So football, full blast into recruiting, staff has taken shape, and more to follow on that. So keep an eye on our Jeans page follow-ups on this. Um, what's the latest news, in fact? Um, of course, by the time you hear this, some of this will be old news, but i just give you some tips as what's going on there. What's the latest one? Uh, um, Mississippi State with the hire of Corey Bell, who's the latest one, how that's de defensive back prospects are reacting to it already. Good job, Rian, following up on that. Uh, Mississippi State has an offer. Let's see, Steve's writing about an offer to Elijah Cannon. There you go. Um, J.J. Harrell talking about um, Daniel Hill and Stonka Burnside. Uh, just all sorts of things we've got covering. That's just what this is about. It's a crazy time of year. The portal has accelerated it. The early signing date has accelerated it. But that's what this new staff's been putting in place to do. So let's see how they perform in eight more days. And then beyond that, uh, the transfer portal, how life has changed. And yes, we'll be doing comparative features on what state has done in the portal these first several years of it. Uh, shorthand answer, not much. A few things to show for it. Uh, Makai Polk being probably your leading example. But otherwise, this is a year that state needs a huge, and I mean huge, turn of fortunes in their portal production because another story that we published today on Wednesday evening, the SEC is going to announce the dates, not just the opponents. We already know the opponents for 2024, but the dates of those games. 
we ran a story today. I dug up some of the numbers there about what is state getting in return for what state's giving up as far as the scheduling there. Well, you ain't going to like it. Mississippi State is giving away Alabama, Auburn, LSU. Okay, that sounds great on the surface. Okay, that teams you've played over a hundred times in history. Kentucky, which state has played annually since 1990. By the way, I think the record was 20 and 14 in state's favor, so that was a good choice. And South Carolina drops off the schedule. That was this year's rotation. Coming on next year, Tennessee was going to be the rotation team for 2024. Well, now they are, except it's going to be a road game instead of a home game. But you're adding Florida, Georgia, Missouri, and Texas. The teams coming off the schedule, even with Alabama, LSU, and that mix, their combined record this year was 39 and 22 and 23 and 17 SEC. Not that far over 500 in conference play, uh, good overall. But what about the records of the teams coming on? Even allowing that Florida had a losing record and not going bowling this year. Good luck, Scott Strickland. The total of these teams is 47 and 15 record this past year. 47 and 15. Yes, Texas was 12 and 1 in the Big 12, not the SEC. Still, you plug that in, repeat that. 39 and 22 is compared to 47 and 15. More so in conference play, 29 and 12. Yeah, you kind of get the idea right there. State is not getting a favorable swap as far as teams with this proviso that in this strange era still of radical roster changes for transfers, early NFL departures, all sorts of things, it doesn't necessarily mean that a team that was double-digit wins this past year is going to be anywhere close to that this coming year. Or you can look at Mississippi State. They went from a nine-win team, including Bowl last year, to a five-win team this past year and one in seven in SEC play. So things happen quickly, and you know, do you expect Missouri to go ten wins again like they are this year? Probably not. Or Georgia, they're due to having a little bit of a drop-off as well. Tennessee, and that's a drug that may be in a little bit more transition than you expect. And Texas, who knows what the effect of the transfer portal and NIL and the NFL draft is going to be on Texas. But you figure they'll be pretty competitive coming in. Difference being, they're going to be beating their heads in every week instead of getting some pretty decent bye weeks as they have in the Big 12 so far. Point holes. State schedule on the surface looks much, much, much tougher this coming season. And we get the exact dates of everybody. Starting at 6 o'clock on Wednesday when the SC announces, yes, I'll be in Humphrey Coliseum at the time, but I'll be following the football and giving you the complete results on Gene's page as well with uh, kind of a look over what's going on. And maybe if there's any news about is the SEC planning to stay long-term with the eight-game schedule, I tend to think this is going to stick for at least another year past 2024, maybe beyond that. But sooner or later, the SEC will switch over to nine conference games. And we'll give you the full schedule. Of course, the four non-conference games for next year are already set. You've got, um, of course, the road game. The Power 5 game is going to be at Arizona State this year, starting a two-game home-and-home. Eastern Kentucky, you've got Toledo, which replaced Utah State. 
and that they're both G5 opponents. So the state has still got that one-game limit for the FCS, that being Eastern Kentucky, and UMass, which for all intents and purposes might as well be FCS, but they still count as an FBS team for this. Larger picture being, does the mandate game stay in place? Uh, maybe Greg Sankey says something about that tomorrow night. Maybe not, because SEC has milked this pretty well. Keep in mind, they announced the Who's back on, I believe, June 14th, and that's going to be December 13th, almost exactly six months later. They're going to announce the dates. SEC is darn good at finding these niches in programming to make their splash, uh, getting the news. And like I said, we'll be following it because you can start making plans. Uh, Will we know the game times? There was some talk that the SEC would start announcing game plans in summer. I've not seen anything official on that lately, but boy, would that not be welcome. Yeah, that means that's one less story I have to write on in-season Mondays that, okay, now we know two weeks from today where State's going to be playing what time, but it would sure be nice for all of you who have to make plans in advance of where you want to be on weekends to know, is it a morning game, afternoon game, evening game, particularly the Egg Bowl? All we know right now is that the 2024 Egg Bowl will be Thanksgiving weekend. I suspect it will stay on Thanksgiving at this point as an evening game because SEC still has to provide ESPN with one Thursday game every year. And that's been their go-to for the last three years. But with Texas-Oklahoma coming in with 16 teams to work with, who knows? Uh, who's to say that um, the Texas-Texas A&M game doesn't go to Thursday, which once upon a time it was. And then the Egg Bowl goes back to Saturday. Now, would that be a good thing? Yeah, for some people, sure. And for, I've had more than a few people tell me, said, no, keep it on Thanksgiving. That way we don't have to make a decision over whose house we go to to celebrate Thanksgiving Day. Uh, as a uh, recently buried man, I kind of can relate to that a whole lot better now than I used to. But the, also remember, too, that if State and the Ole Miss do get assigned to a Saturday Egg Bowl, no guarantee it's in a favorable time. You can end up with an 11 o'clock in the morning Egg Bowl, which, uh, depending on weather, might be a bad deal. But generally, it would certainly fall off the viewing audience there. Regardless, we'll find out. Uh, chances of it moving to Friday, slim. But boy, would I grab that. The one time we played the Egg Bowl on a Friday afternoon, in my working experience, it was awesome. Helped that the weather was great. But it was awesome because that gave you Thanksgiving Day to get everything done. It gave you Saturday after the game to recover from it. That's ideal, but I just don't think State and Ole Miss will be that fortunate when the SEC starts divvying things up. All right, we were going to talk about basketball, and Mississippi State is back in action tomorrow evening. That would be Wednesday at 6.30. As I said, I'll be in Humphrey Coliseum while the basketball team is playing Murray State. Coach Chris Jan's team got back on the winning track over the weekend by stomping Tulane out in Atlanta. They've lost their national ranking, but could be back on track to get that. And, of course, don't forget Sunday afternoon, State's going to be in Tupelo playing in an NIL game. Yes, uh, the proceeds from that game will go to the Bulldog Initiative to help fund Mississippi State's name, image, likeness efforts. And boy, is that funding needed incredibly at this point with the transfer portal and the need for Mississippi State to plug in so many guys. Remember, you're not limited to 25 signees anymore. All you have to do is be down to 85 total. So State, uh, with all the guys who are bailing out, has more slots to offer, but you need NIL 
to attract some of these guys. I know, I know, schools technically aren't doing that, but uh, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, grin, grin, cynicism, cynicism. Anyway, that's basketball, but I want to talk about a year ago today. I should say a year ago yesterday because it was on Sunday afternoon, December 11th, when I got the phone call from Steve Robertson saying, hey, Mike Leach is being taken to the hospital. It's very serious. We better start writing a story. So I came up to the office that afternoon and put something together as much as we knew, kept updating. And then we talked to some people and said, all right, we're going to announce hospitalization, but we will hold on any further follow-up, even though it was pretty evident by that time that it was over for Coach. Uh, The official announcement came two days later because they allowed the family to come in, as you recall. A year later, I was not as close to Leach as I was to many coaches simply because the nature of how things have changed with work. Of course, he arrives during the COVID year when everything shut down, so we didn't have spring practice to initially get to know him. Then you have the convoluted scheduling that fall, the all-SEC schedule, uh, the winter bowl game. I was unavailable unavoidably detained, unable to be at the last couple of games because of a family health situation. Then on into 2022, 21 and 22, had better chances to be around coach, talk to him after practices, before games, things like that. But I'm not going to say I ever truly got to know him, certainly not to the level that Steve did and others. And that's going to be one of the great regrets, not just of my life as a writer, because you talk about a source of such material potentially, but simply for the interest of knowing the man himself. It's a year later, and still college football has not totally come to terms with his passing. Yes, his pure version of the air raid was passé by that time, no pun intended. But the impact he had on football, obviously college, but also filtering into pros overseas. Al Mummy came up with the air raid concepts. Mike Leach perfected them in the original pure version. It was interesting the other night watching a Barry Sanders um, retrospective on that Heisman and then also on the Heisman class of 97 and watching football games there and occasionally seeing flashes of Scott Field with Tim Couch and there's Mike Leach on the sidelines. And State won that game, by the way, in 97. And thinking back that that was his one couple of years in the SEC, then all of a sudden he comes back to Mississippi State. And I was talking to Jeff Levy and saying, you know, I came on in this business when Emory Ballard was the coach, the inventor of the wishbone. And all of a sudden, decades later, I'm working with the man who invented the aerial wishbone, just like my career just seems to go in circles in that regard. We're always going to wonder what Mike Leach would have done had he stayed healthy, had he been able to coach this past year's team with Will Rogers as a senior, with a more versatile receiver core, with a veteran offensive line who'd spent now in their fourth year running air raid blocking systems instead of forced to change to what they tried to do. I'm never going to lambast Zach Arnett for changing. State was going to have to get out of that offense. Only Mike Leach could call the true air raid. But blowing it up immediately, well, in retrospective, I think Arnett would certainly do things differently, maybe even keep a couple of assistants from that staff. But you, you take make your choices and you live with the consequences. 
Meanwhile, Mississippi State lives with the consequences of the early passing of Leach because Zach Arnett did not ask for the job, but he had to take it. Somebody had to take it quickly with Leach's passing being so abrupt. Somebody had to finish up the recruiting. Somebody had to get ready for a bowl game. Somebody had to make a spring practice plan for that year. It got done, but the end results, as you see, Mississippi State's program, dramatic downturn, and now so many players leaving from that first recruiting class are actually Joe Moorhead, yes, began the class and signed it. Mike Leach finished it off in the spring of 2020, and you see the results now. College football is poorer for his loss. Mississippi State is definitely poorer for his loss, the person and the personality both and I'm trying not to get too sentimental in this because I don't think we'll ever really know. We, we can't know what Mississippi State could have been this past year. And as somebody I saw on Twitter said, what would Mike Leach have done given seven, eight years as head coach here? Totally transforming this. Even with the addition of Texas and Oklahoma, I think that would have fueled his competitiveness even more. With more years to get used to the transfer portal way of recruiting, which he was still trying to figure out himself at that time what what difference would it have made i think unknowable and yet in almost beyond conception what could have been positively i certainly don't think the program would make it a serious downturn as happened and now you have jeff levy coming in with his air raid elements in his own offense uh, by the way uh veer and shoot was the phrase i was trying to come up with veer and shoot Yet there are air raid elements in that, too. Quite obviously, you saw it in how Oklahoma operated the past two seasons, what he did at Ole Miss, what he did in Central Florida. The influence of Mike Leach will be lingering in college football probably as long as the forward pass is legal in college football. His impact at Mississippi State, well, State's got to, um, and admittedly, some of the recruiting turns, You've got to rebuild a whole defensive secondary. The recruiting there just did not produce, whether high school or portal. Uh, defensive line is thinner, and I mean that literally and figuratively, both in numbers and physique. Offensive line, that's going to be a rebuild job as well. Another reason why 2023 was a season for Leach to point to and peek at and never got the opportunity. And now it's a serious rebuild. You believe you have the right coach to do it. You've got an administration supporting him, giving him the tools to do it with. Uh, in January, we'll have some further announcements on what's going to happen with Davis Wade Stadium and Scott Field as the program makes further strides. But let's just pause a minute and remember, we're different for the three years we had Mike Leach in Startwell at Mississippi State. Most of it good. Some of it probably not so good in the long run but undeniably different. And that's the best summary I can give on the tenure of Mike Leach as we look at this one-year anniversary of what is still an inconceivable loss. Every time I look at a Twitter notion of him, one of the, you know, we miss you, Coach. Uh, this is what you were, I think. Wow, what we lost. What opportunities we lost. What pure entertainment value we lost. But Mississippi State goes on. We go on as fans, as a program, and now the transition. Let's just try to get some stability here because for reasons that could be controlled and couldn't be, we're about to have a fifth head coach, or really sixth if you count Greg Knox, a sixth head coach in eight seasons. 
It's time for Mississippi State to stabilize the football program under solid leadership, to rebuild the recruiting, to restock the roster, to totally rearrange recruiting and development in this brave new world of the transfer portal and name, image, likeness, and move it forward. And we'll be here to cover it, and we'll be here to talk about it in the doghouse. This has been your host, David Murray. We're getting up on 40 minutes here. It's time for me just to shut up and let you go on with your day. Remember, Bulldog basketball, 6.30 on Wednesday against Murray State. And then, of course, in Tupelo. And if you can't make the game in Tupelo, go ahead and donate. It's the holiday season. I know everybody's strapped and expenses everywhere. But keep in mind, name, image, and likeness through the Bulldog Initiative that's joined by Charlie Winfield and his expanding staff. That's as much the key to Bulldog recruiting and football future and other sports as well as any coaching hire. Do your part. I certainly plan to do mine as well. Every little bit or big bit is appreciated. And I appreciate you turning into this edition of the Doghouse. Uh, I know I mentioned last week, we certainly intend to get much more regular as things settle down, hopefully, fingers crossed. But we'll have a lot to talk about with Bulldog basketball, and it ain't that far away. When the January is only a couple of weeks away, and with that, you start turning your mind towards the Diamond Dog roster and what Chris Limonis needs to get done in this 2024 season coming up. So stay with us. Thanks for checking in. And if you like what you've been hearing, give us a like on Apple Podcast. You've been listening to The Doghouse on the Believe Podcast Network. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.